Barely Research Facts is a fact-based podcast brought to you by Art Now Das, an experiential arts agency based out of Mumbai. Each week, we pick a word at random, dive into it, and see what it brings to us. We are your hosts. My name is Ragini, and this is Shar. Let's go. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Barely Research Facts. Hi, guys. It's a fun one actually today. Yeah. Because the first Saturday of every September is celebrated as World Beard Day. <laughs> as you do. And so Shar and I decided that today's word would be beard in celebration. <laughs> It was quite an interesting. Like, did you find that you had some ideas already preformed in your head that you wanted to go into? No, but I had a great time researching this, and I'm so excited about what I found because it's so much fun. <laughs> it's been a very, very fun episode to research. Yeah, yeah, it has. Yeah. So I'm going to actually start by telling you all about about World Beard Day. And if you're one of our bearded listeners, then I hope this helps you celebrate today. I guess. <laughs> According to the World Beard Day official website, World Beard Day is celebrated annually on an international level with people from every nation and continent gathering together with their beards. It is held on the first Saturday of September and is characterized by the happiness of all people being with their beards and with each other. How blissful and lovely. I know, that's so cute. They're like a clan. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's all about love and happiness and belonging. So mm. Fun. Anyway, apparently on World Beard Day, it is customary for bearded members of a family to relax and enjoy themselves <laughs> and partake in absolutely no jobs or chores. And beardless members will ideally should show support by beating on the bearded members' hand and foot. <laughs> really? I was going to joke that, oh, they, they, they have to be slaves, but turns out that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. According to the official website, I can't make this up, honestly. <laughs> Also, shaving on World Beard Day is consider- universally considered to be highly disrespectful. <laughs> if you're a bearded person on today, no, no, absolutely no. Just a few fun facts about World Beard Day. In southern Spain, many townships gather to witness a boxing match between a bearded man and a beardless boy. The bearded man, normally armed with a sharp pike, is typically the victor. In a certain Swedish village, anyone without a beard is banished from town and is forced to spend 24 hours in a nearby forest. Yeah, I'm not sure how much about love this is for like non-bearded people. <laughs> I know, it's, it's just one day in the year. It's fine, right? But to spend the day in the forest just because you don't have a beard? Yeah. Or if you get hypothermia, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just one day a year. You'll survive. It'll be fine. Or not, but still, just one day a year. <laughs> so the exact origins of the World Beard Day are unknown, but there is some evidence to suggest that Danish Vikings had a special day dedicated to the glorification of beards as far as 880. Wow. The event was not held on a fixed day and was often celebrated hundreds of times each year, just for fun. Why not? <laughs> this is the early incarnation of what would one day become World Beard Day. Yeah. And back in, you know, in 880, Typically involved ransacking of neighboring towns, villages, yep. and countries by large groups of heavily armed and bearded men. It's a checklist. That's the Viking checklist. In keeping with that, traditions today would involve, like if you want to celebrate, you could create an all-bearded human pyramid, the record for which currently stands at 22. Ew. You could play clean chin darts, which is you can take a picture of your least favorite bearded person and onto a dartboard and then throw darts at their face. <laughs> Drink lots of vodka because man. <laughs> Pin the beard on the guy and just a lot of testosterone heavy stuff or not. Mm. And do not shave. Okay, yeah. So on that note, now that we've set the tone for celebrating World Beard Day, <laughs> I am going to go a little bit more into the history of beards mm-hmm. because that's how we celebrate anything. We just talk a lot about it. <laughs> Historically, I think men used to grow beards because, especially early man was growing beards because it was a way to sort of 
protect their face from the elements. So my my first thought when I read this was, oh yeah, that's also because you know obviously early man didn't know how to shave. But turns out that early man did apparently know how to shave. He just didn't do a very good job of it. <laughs> Bless him. He had more important things to worry about, like surviving. <laughs> but also having a beard would give them a more intimidating appearance, which was key to survival. So almost like you know how animals fluff up mm. when they're getting into aggressive. It's it was similar to that. Men were fluffing. <laughs> So it's kind of cute if you think of it that way. The fluffy man. Oh, the fluffy Neanderthal. <laughs> Actually, I'm copywriting that as a children's book title. <laughs> fluffy Neanderthal. I think so. I think it's a great title, yeah. So beards continued to be popular as civilizations developed. And it wasn't until Alexander the Great mm. that they kind of, like the clean-shaven look sort of started coming more into fashion. And that's because Alexander the Great supposedly forbade his army from growing beards mm. because... He felt like beard was one of the easiest things for your enemy to pull in battle. Yeah. But there is also evidence that suggests that he was just, he just wanted everyone to look like him and he was clean shaven and he <laughs> wanted his army to look like him. So, uh, one of the two. Mm. Beards were popular in ancient Greek. They saw them as a sign of masculinity, knowledge and wisdom. A beard was only shaved as a sign of mourning or punishment. Mm. You know, if you were disgraced, you were unbearded. Mm. And then, of course, Alexander the Great came in and sort of banned beards. So after that, beards sort of started dying out. And it was only in the eight, like by around the 18th century, most men were cleanly shaven. Mm. And being, you know, facial hair was only like if you were like rough and uncouth and lower class and all of those things that mm. back then were not considered great. By the mid 1800s, Facial hair began to start making a comeback. Full beards were in vogue again, especially as Abraham Lincoln mm. grew more popular. Beards in America started becoming more popular with upper class men as well as poor men because everyone, you know, fashioning yourself along the lines of Abraham Lincoln. Mm. And in Britain, during the Crimean War in 1854 to 56, because of the freezing cold and the lack of supplies to shave, yeah. shaving cream, soap, etc., beards came back again. And so when you came back from war, being heavily bearded was a sign of being a hero. Mm. And then if you didn't have a beard, then you were... You were probably dead also. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they helped with the retaining warmth also, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Then you come to the 20th century. In the 20th century, beards were still not so popular. Uh, they kind of died down in popularity. Some prominent men, consisting of Sigmund Freud, Albert Einstein, Proust, still wore full beards or at least had moustaches. So there was still like some sort of... But so beards had this connotation of almost, you know, having to be like intellectual and solitary and mm. in order to sport beards. But day-to-day people were weren't. By the 1920s in the US, most men's faces were free of facial hair. Except for around this time, the handlebar moustache had become really popular. Oh, I like the handlebar moustache. I really did too, actually. I thought it was kind of sophisticated. Now, by the Second World War, again, you know, moustaches, the popularity started to fade. People started going for, especially if you were being drafted into the army, a beard or a moustache could prevent the gas mask from fitting really tightly across, like around your face. So Mm. army men had to go clean shaven. And then for most of the time after, till about the 60s, you know, clean shaven faces were the look and were in vogue. And then, so around the time of the Vietnam War, as unrest began to grow internally within the United States, Beards once again started coming back into fashion, but this time it was almost anti-establishment. So mm. a lot of your hipster, like, you know, the hippie crowd, mm. poets, thinkers, writers, musicians, people who were basically considered no-do-gooders were sort of started sporting beards. And then they slowly started becoming sort of resonant with anti-establishment movements. Mm. And by the 1980s, goatees, beards had gone out and goatees had now become popular. And to today, this day and age, where I think somewhere more than... Like, I think hipster culture has just taken over and all forms of beards and moustaches are popular, I guess. I don't even know what's what's in vogue right now. 
with beards mm. i just see a lot of men with yeah i don't know what is actually like i don't even know what i i'm just realizing i haven't seen a man in all <laughs> clearly because <laughs> i can't think of any boys face like that uh the pleasures of covid-19 so that is a brief history of beards what was in vogue what wasn't why did it come at vogue and why did it not stay in vogue <laughs> Uh, I, you know, when you were talking, the first thing that made my ears prick up was obviously Viking beards, because that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, I need to research Viking beards to just see what you know. I mean, the obvious is it's Occam's razor. What you probably know and think about Viking beards is probably true because uh, they were held in high esteem. In fact, beards and sometimes eyebrows were facial attributes of significance. For example, uh, there's this Viking saga. Okay, it's a 13th century Icelandic saga called Njal Saga that describes events between 960 and 1020 AD. And uh, I found this really interesting. This book apparently is I I see it as like an epic, like the Lord of the Rings, but true. <laughs> and in that, they describe obviously the importance of beards and also the ridicule that some men face for being beardless, thus implying that they were unmanly or had weak behavior, etc. And this is from someone in the 13th century, so you know you've got. sources there <laughs> some of the most common objects found in iron age burials and some settlement sites were combs and also traces of comb production they were decorated they were found in graves of men and women men would probably use them to groom their beards dent venture what else they would groom with the comb but let's just assume it was beards <laughs> and they would they were known to both women and men were known to carry a comb in their belts and sometimes it was placed in a cover of bone or a case of some kind or a purse usually leather they were buried with them because obviously not only because of the ick factor but because they were probably very superstitious you weren't allowed to use a dead person's comb which is is logical i get it i wouldn't <laughs> yeah i mean i wouldn't use a dead person's anything if i knew that they were dead but if, if someone just gave it to me and didn't give me any history of it i'd be like oh yeah antique oh yeah i mean I, we're all i mean every antique was once used exactly by a dead yeah as long as you don't know the mm. dead person you know I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm going too far there. People have, you know, antiques and heirlooms from family members, so we leave that there. And they're all dead. <laughs> yeah. A well-groomed beard might also have been important to signify rank and status. In fact, two of the most notorious Viking leaders had descriptors or had names that described some sort of bodily hair. The first one was Swine Forkbeard. and Harold the fair hair. So I wanted to talk a little bit about oh. yeah, fork beard. I just love it. Yeah. It's because his beard forked uh, majestically into two uh, plaits. <laughs> and um mm. most people haven't heard of him, but he is the father to Canute. Canute is someone that a lot of people who are mildly interested in Viking history would have been familiar with. His name was Canute the Great. Swine was his dad and he was actually the first king of England, first Viking king of England. Oh. But he unfortunately he ruled only for 5 weeks. So his majestic beard couldn't prevent his early young quite young death. He took over as king on Christmas Day in 1013 and he ruled until his death on 3rd February 1014. He was a, a big old viking bully. <laughs> he went around <laughs> he went around, you know, ravaging England. He yeah. defeated the king of England at the time and took the crown but not for very long. Oh. And Harold the fair hair is somebody that we again mentioned in our episode on hats. Yeah. He has a really cute yeah. folk legend related to his hat and the powers it had, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. If you want to listen um. to that, you can go listen to our episode hat. 
Yeah, it's fun. We recommend it. <laughs> Completely unbiased recommendation. <laughs> Speaking of leaders who were obsessed with their beards, Peter the Great of Russia, who was the emperor of Russia and whose, you know, a lot of his policies and things still survive to this day. He had a bit of an, I don't know, like a... Interesting relationship. Yeah, most, more like hatred. <laughs> So apparently in Imperial Russia, a small copper token with a beard depicted on it and a register of bearded men were standard items. So Peter the Great imposed one of the highest taxes on those who refused to shave off their beards. So he decided, he went to Europe and he saw that not many people had beards there. And he saw it as a sign of like civilization and progress and things like that. So he wanted Russians to be as similar to the Europeans as possible. So he imposed the tax. All the city dwellers were obliged to shave off their beards and mustaches. And those who refused had to pay the tax. Wow. The highest tax rate applied to the particularly wealthy merchants had to pay as much as 100 rubles a year, which was quite a lot of money at the time. And courtiers and merchants and those with average incomes had to pay 60 rubles. And the lowest tax rate was 30 rubles a year. That was applied to stagecoach drivers and coachmen. (laughs) So sad. They were out in the Russian cold and they had to like shave off their beards. (laughs) if you all pay yeah. a lot of money yeah. actually but a good time to be a to be a king huh? like you could just be like oh I don't like yeah. this yeah just be like and I can just do whatever I want about yeah this. just be like you know women I don't like your long skirts I want many skirts yeah. make it happen <laughs> Make it the longer your skirt, the more tax you pay. (laughs) Uh, Bearded peasants were also affected by this rule. They had to pay one kopeck when entering a city. They in their villages and things, they could wear their beards without any penalty. So he couldn't really enforce it in all of Russia. It was more like the capital city and bigger cities. The only exempt people from the beard tax were priests and deacons. So again, they got off easy. The beard tax was abolished in 1772. So he implemented it around the beginning of the 18th century and it was only abolished in 1772 during the reign of Catherine the Great. Although she didn't go so far as to abolish it completely, she banned officials, military men and courtiers from wearing a beard or mustache. Hmm. Wow, they spent a lot of time putting this out. (laughs) All the men would be like, oh, I just got rid of my razor. (laughs) Oh, I just got bought a new razor, damn it. <laughs> okay, so speaking of beards and people's opinions on beards, then, you know, one of the things that kind of struck me when we were, when I began my research is, you know, the typical image that you see of a philosopher, yeah. and they always have this big beard yeah. that goes with it, especially if you think of like, you know, uh, Plato, Socrates, Rome and Greece. Yeah, 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 right. And so I like, I, I started thinking, like, is there really something that, that you know, is there a reason why that mm. happens? And it turns out that there is, there is a concept, like there's a whole story about the philosopher's beard that goes to show you why philosophers sport the kind of beards that they do. Mm. <laughs> and in Greco-Roman antiquity, the beard was seen as a defining characteristic of the philosopher. Okay. Philosophers had to have beards and anyone with a beard was assumed to be a philosopher. So it's a legit <laughs> thing, you know, if you were for a, like, it was dress code yeah. basically. Now, shaving was not widespread in Athens during the 5th and 4th century BCE, as I like we talked about. Clean-shaven looks came into popularity only much later yeah. on. And so generally, back then, a philosopher would not really be distinguishable to the general population just by their beard. Mm. So actually, when you think about Socrates and Plato and all of that, they, they just look like every other Roman citizen oh. or Greek citizen at the time. They didn't, you know, it wasn't a particular look that they were sporting as philosophers. Yeah. So, and it was only after, you know, once again, like once Alexander the Great came in and once he asked 
he wanted to shave in his army that clean shaven looks became more popular yeah. and the idea of the philosopher's beard gained traction when in 155 BCE three philosophers arrived in Rome as Greek diplomats so there was Carneades who was the head of the platonic academy mm-hmm. there was Critolaus of Aristotle's Lyceum who was the head of the stoics and Diogenes of Babylon and now mm. they came from Greece and in contrast to their beautifully clean shaven italian audience they just really really stood mm-hmm. out and that was the first time when the idea of the bearded philosopher caught hold of the roman public imagination oh okay and thereafter you know philosophers in rome and greece just started, like it just sort of becoming a thing and philosophers started holding the beard as an integral part of their identity mm. to the extent that epictetus who was a greek philosopher mm-hmm said that he would rather be executed than submit to any force demanding he remove Jeez. it. Now, the reason why, you know, this became a really big thing is that during the time that Epictetus was alive, the emperor Domitian had the hair and beard forcibly shaven off a philosopher, Apollonius of Tyana, as punishment for anti-state activities. And by doing this, he basically disgraced the philosopher, but also prevented him from becoming a martyr, as had happened with Socrates when he was executed. Mm. Thereafter, he made it compulsory for all philosophers to be... Beardless? Domitian was not very favorable to philosophers in Italy. And Epictetus had had to flee Italy, because if he hadn't, he would have been executed there. So it was only much later on that I think when the reality of what had happened had sunk in, when he was like, never again will I move from a place or shave my beard. <laughs> and so he just said, uh, and so that's how he sort of started making these statements. Mm. But thereafter, it turns out that as, you know, the idea of the bearded philosopher became really popular, in Rome, you could actually distinguish the school of thought that the philosophers subscribed to based on their beard, which I thought was really <laughs> interesting. So cynics sported long, dirty beards to indicate their strict indifference to all external goods and social customs. Stoics, on the other hand, would occasionally trim and wash their beard in accordance to their view that it is acceptable to prefer certain external goods so long as they are never valued above virtue. And the peripatetics took great care of their beards, believing in accordance with Aristotle that external goods and social status were necessary for good life together with virtue. So basically, in, to the Roman philosopher in that era, having a beard and the condition of the beard would tell you whether they were cynics, stoics or peripatetics. Mm, I think I'm a peripatetic, if I ever could grow a beard. <laughs> I think I'm not a philosopher. <laughs> what do you mean you're not a bearded Roman philosopher? <laughs> Walking around. <laughs> And so from there, when I, once I was sort of, you know, in India, especially when you think of beard and bearded men, there is a community that just comes to mind immediately, which is the community of the Sikhs, mm. yeah. right? Because the Sikhs are mostly characterized by their beards and by their turbans. Yeah. It's a big part of the religion. And so I kind of started thinking about like, you know, also like when you think about philosophers, not just in the West, but you think about Sufi saints or you think about like, you know, the gurus in Sikhism, you see, mm. they also come sporting yeah. things. And so obviously, like, it kind of took hold as prominent culture across the world. But then I kind of really want to understand, like, you know, how like how did beers get so strongly ingrained in Sikh culture? So the first guru in Sikhism is Guru mm-hmm. Nanak. You know, at the time, he deliberately chose garb that would make it difficult for people to associate him with any particular, like, with a religious identity. Yeah. So, and that was aligned with his philosophical message that there is no one exclusive path to truth. You know, you don't have to be Hindu or Muslim. Mm. And so he sort of went into, it was this almost like this religion neutral style mm. of dressing where he wore a long robe and that was similar to Muslim dervishes, but he wore it in the color saffron, which was, a, you know, the color of the Hindu sannyasi. Mm. And generally he had, you know, he wore a short turban to cover his head in the style of, again, of Sufi dervishes. He wore wooden sandals that, favored, that were favored by devotees of all religions. Uh, and so all of these kind of suggest that, you know, he, he had this identity of an ascetic that 
sort of transcended religion. Mm. And then on the other end of the banner, at, you know, the 10th guru is Guru Gobind mm. Singh, who is supposed to have completed the spiritual movement that Nanak began. And with him, you see a far more styled look. You see, you know, he wears a bejeweled turban. He has a falcon on his shoulder normally. Mm. He has jewelry on. His clothes are better fitted. And so, you know, there's there's a clear sort of identity that you can see there. The reason for this could be that he's... Guru Gobind Singh is the person who institutionalized the Sikh identity through the formation of the Khalsa, which is the community of the Sikhs. Mm. All right. And so as history would go, at the time of Nanak's death, his followers were limited in number and geographical space. And with every subsequent guru, the followership kind of increased. So, you know, as did their political influence. So as it kind of started growing as a movement, as most things are sort of start becoming more and more mainstream, there was some tussle amongst the gurus as well to decide who would become the next guru. The fifth guru who is Guru Arjun, was executed. And according to one narrative, he was put to death on the orders of the Emperor Jahangir because his brother wanted the institution of Guru for himself. So when after Arjun was executed, this was the first time that the Sikhs and the institution of the Guru sort of like experienced their greatest threat, which is just that how do a group of unarmed devotees with no real like, you know, sort of protection, military background, yeah, yeah protect themselves against the might of the empire, Right. And so around this time, the sixth Gobind emerged, Hargobind, who was Arjun's son. And it was him who for the first time replaced, he started sort of fashioning his look to more elaborate styles to sort of send out a more regal message yeah. that could then sort of be used to kind of hurt people behind. Mm. Because, then, you know, suddenly you're setting up the institution. And as, you know, tensions grew between the Sikhs and the Muslims, you know, the institution of the Guru sort of continued to progress. It was only by, around, you know, by the 10th Guru, which is Guru Gobind Singh, who was a grandson actually of Har Gobind. And he sort of took on, fashioned himself along the lines of his grandfather, institutionalized the Khalsa and kind of, you know, and therefore he has a far more groomed beard. But that's how the beard and the styling of the beard has kind of progressed in Sikh history, mm. depending on what each Guru was really trying to achieve. Which I thought was actually really interesting because it still holds the notion of the philosopher's beard because that's how it started yeah. off. But then it also kind of, you know, like as a movement starts getting traction and as, you know, it becomes important to protect the members of that community. Yeah. Just how things sort of grew and fashion out. Yeah. And it started off as like, like, you know, you were saying started off as Guru Nanak sort of adding all these different elements from different religions. And then it sort of became their own identity. Its own religion. Yeah. Yeah, so quite interesting that. Yeah. Okay, and with that, that is actually the end of our segment on all of the history around beards. But I will do one last bit before I end this segment. Just as a little bit of a aside on the history of beards, not in terms of like, you know, cultural connotations and medical connotations of beards. Okay. In the mid-19th century, there was a huge beard boom in the UK. And apparently it was because doctors were prescribing beards to their patients. <laughs> So by the 1800s, more than a million London residents were burning soft coal and, and winter fogs had started becoming a nuisance, which is something similar to what we see in Delhi now around Diwali mm. and the burning of the crop. And in 1873, a coal smoke saturated fog, thicker and more persistent than natural fog, hovered over the city for days. Mm. And as a result of this, there was obviously like, you know, people were panicked about just what was going on with their lungs. There were lots of like, there's just a lot of coughing, I'm assuming, in the city of London in general. And it was assumed that having a thick beard would prevent the dirty air from entering your nostrils and your mouth. Mm. And, you know, just generally it would act like a filter against germs. Now, of course, we know that dirty beards are probably more unhealthy than actually not having a beard at all. But back in the early 1800s, in the mid-1800s, uh, if you had a beard, yeah, it was probably because your doctor had prescribed it to you. Cool. So, speaking of prescription of beards, there's a very mm. famous leader who self-prescribed a beard 
and gave many reasons for it. It was Fidel Castro. I didn't know this. Yeah, oh. I mean, obviously everybody knows what he looks like and he's got this short, wiry mm-hmm. beard. And it was, it started off as the as a symbol of the anti-bourgeois ethos of the Cuban revolution of 1959. But it was also, in his opinion, a practical expression of the old revolutionaries workaholism, that you work so hard that you have no time to shave. Time to shave. Oh. And apparently, uh, by his own calculation, Castro saved up to 10 working days a year by not shaving. He says the story of our beer... Time well spent? I don't uh, know. Yeah, well, you know, if you're a revolutionary, you've got <laughs> things to do. <laughs> so the story of our beards, he says, is very simple. It arose out of the difficult conditions we were living and fighting in as guerrillas. We didn't have razor blades or straight razors. When we found ourselves in the middle of the wilderness, up in the Sierra... Everybody just let their beards and hair grow. And that turned into a kind of badge of identity. So again, harking back to the philosophers and the Sikhs and, you know, it becomes part of your identity and then it becomes more precious. It might have started off as something that was a logical choice, but then it becomes part of your identity. See, he says, he says further that for the campesinos, which is the farmers and everybody else for the press, for the reporters, we were Los Barbudos, which is the bearded ones. It had its positive side. In order for a spy to infiltrate us, he had to start preparing months ahead. He'd have to have a six months growth of beard you see so the beard served as a badge of identity <laughs> and as protection until it finally became a symbol of the gorilla fighter wow yeah so that was his opinion now interestingly you know the US had their own troubles and strife Agenda. with um, <laughs> with um, uh, Cuba and Fidel Castro by consequence apparently there were hundreds of plots against Castro assassination attempts essentially they really became <laughs> like it's what you'd see slightly ridiculous actually because I have heard heard about this and some of those plots were ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, among some of the non-beard related plots, (laughs) they spiked his cigars with a chemical that would disorientate him, hoping he would smoke one before delivering one of his marathon oratory performances because the image of Castro was really important to him. His image itself was a way for people to connect with his cause and to rally around him. And so they wanted to destroy that essentially. They tried dusting his shoes with thallium salts, which would have made Castro's beard fall out, which would have reduced or diminished his cause in some way. Wow. Yeah. The um, the cigars were never smoked. The LSD-like substance was abandoned because it was too unstable. <laughs> Castro cancelled the overseas trip that would have given the spooks, which is the CIA, the opportunity to dust his shoes. So even though they were like Mission Impossible level plots, <laughs> like you can only imagine them in the movies, none of them actually worked. So for good reason. Yeah. <laughs> okay, coming to another famous uh, leader with a mustache. I'm going to talk about the King of Hearts, as in the Cards King. Of oh, Hearts. okay. <laughs> <laughs> And so the things that you will notice if you're an avid card player is that the King of Hearts is the only king with no moustache. And he also appears to be piercing his own head with a dagger. For some I'm reason. sorry, what card deck is this? I don't recall any of this. Every card deck. Like he has, he basically has this, he has a sword that goes up and he's holding it in such a way that it just looks like he's like oh. knocking it through his head. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cards were probably invented in ancient China and then from there they reached Persia and then came to Europe. And the king is probably the oldest card in the playing deck. So mm. it's likely that it also had a lot more time to kind of evolve and change and had a lot more iterations. Mm. Back in the 15th century, the cards from Spain were drawn with the king standing and the French used Spanish designs for quite some time. But by the end of the 15th century or so, they sort of invented their own design. Yeah. And the British used to import French cards. <laughs> but by the 17th century, for some reason, the import of playing cards was banned. <laughs> 
it had still been enough time for the French design to kind of spread yeah. across the British world, yeah. which was dominant back in the day. Which is why today you still see us traditionally using French designs, yeah. although, you know, with some variations to it. So in the 15th century, French manufacturers used to assign actual historical figures to each of the king cards. And the King of Hearts was based on Charles the Great, mm-hmm. who most likely at the time had a moustache. Okay, But because playing cards were stamped using wooden stamps, and those wooden stamps were carved by hand, copying previous designs, it's likely that over time, the wooden blocks either wore down and the drawings kind of became less and less vivid. Yeah. So when copying these cards, the manufacturers sort of started skipping the moustache because after a while, it just wasn't visible anymore. <laughs> with regards to why he's sort of killing himself, with the you know, is because in earlier versions of the card, he originally had an axe. But at some point, the axe disappeared and the handle turned into a dagger and it kind of looks like now he's just shoving this dagger through his head. I'm just looking at a picture of the King of Hearts right now. I've never noticed this. But yeah, it looks like he's stabbing himself in the head. Yeah. Oh, bless him. (laughs) And this is why. So this is the story of why the King of Hearts is the only person who cannot celebrate today amongst all the other kings (laughs) in the day. When you said King of Hearts initially, I thought Casanova. (laughs) But this is way more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So when I was going through research papers related to beards and various biological factors, one research paper caught my eye. It's where they connected shaving with the likelihood of heart disease or stroke. I mean, is that as weird to you as it is to me? (laughs) I mean, they prescribed not shaving to keep yourself like to not... Well, the hypothesis was they just wanted to find out whether there was a direct connection between shaving and having heart disease or strokes. Is it because of testosterone? Does it have something to do with I mean, it's it's not... Manliness. (laughs) (laughs) Well, men are more likely to die of heart attacks than women. Uh, They have a higher incidence of that. But, you know, it's not something that you can create a direct correlation between. Like, I'm no no scientist, but it doesn't seem like it. So, (laughs) apparently, the relationship between the frequency of shaving and an all-cause and cardiovascular disease mortality or coronary heart disease or stroke event was investigated. They had a cohort of 2,438 men aged 45 to 59. One fifth of men, which is 521, of the men who shaved less frequently than daily were found to be shorter, less likely to be married, had a lower frequency of orgasm and were more likely to smoke to have angina and to work in manual occupations than other men, which is one fifth. Okay. Now, they did a 20-year follow-up, which is a long time to spend on <laughs> this kind of research. But hey, kudos um. to them. <laughs> Over the 20-year period of those who shaved less frequently than daily, 45.1% died as compared with 31.3% among those who shaved at least daily who didn't. Oh. Yeah. Don't shave daily, basically. So apparently beards are healthy. <laughs> I guess so. I mean... <laughs> they got it right in the 18th and the 19th century. <laughs> I have a, a crackpot philosophy, or not philosophy. I have a crackpot theory, which is that people with beards, I think, look generally better. And if they feel like they look better, they are less stressed about their general looks and social interactions. And the less stress they have, the less causes for angina or heart disease they have but don't quote yeah, me like a like a <laughs> don't quote me on it <laughs> now one of the other things i wanted to talk about was in the prelude to the research paper they 
quoted this other study. They said a more recent observation in support of this hypothesis was made by a man living on a remote island who found upon his return to the mainland that the weight of his beard's shavings every 24 hours was heavier immediately prior to and during periods of sexual activity. <laughs> So off I went, wow, off I went cool. to this research paper. Um, so this was written in 1970 by one gentleman. It was published in the Nature volume. And the title is Effects of Sexual Activity on Beard Growth in Man. And he apparently was on this island. He says, during the past two years, I have had to spend periods of several weeks on a remote island in comparative isolation. In these conditions, I noticed that my beard growth diminished. But the day before I was due to leave the island, it increased again to reach unusually high rates during the first day or two on the mainland. So he realized that this was happening. I don't know how. I'm just like, <laughs> clearly was like paying real close attention when he was shaving. Intrigued by them, he did this two-page research paper that has, basically he measured his beard growth quantitatively by collecting and weighing the shavings from the heads of a Philips <laughs> razor after a single shave once every 24 hours. And he recorded data on a zero to five scale with regard to his activity. So how active he was, physical exercise, mental exercise, nervousness, sleep, libido and intercourse. Wow. And so what does this conclude? Like, what is the, what is the point of it? So the point is that he did see a correlation between the growth of his beard and sexual activity or even the likelihood of, se of sexual activity. The likelihood of sexual activity. So he found oh. that the day of the return to the mainland and the initial resumption of sexual activity produced a most marked increase in beard growth, although growth subsequently declined fairly rapidly to baseline rate. So basically, if you were, if you knew you were going to have sex and in the initial period of having sex, your beard went, his beard, I can't say your beard, but his beard <laughs> went crazy and then returned to normal. So basically, I mean, there's obviously a link there between testosterone and, you know, frequent sexual intercourse and, and then thereafter yeah. beard growth. So, hey, there you go. If, uh, if we have any male listeners who have a beard, please can you test this out and let us know what happens? Oh dear, please don't. <laughs> Now, from the excitement of uh, shaving or not shaving your beard, just beard maintenance in general, I found two interesting incidents where shaving actually led to death. And two interesting Ooh. people who I'd heard of, well, one of them I'd heard of before. Before the advent of safety razors and sanitation laws, which meant that barbers didn't have to wash their razor between clients or wash them at all, really. Just like dip them in. Wow, whatever. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so when a man used a barber... Luxury salon. Yeah, luxury salon means you get to dip in soapy water and wipe on a cloth as opposed to just like, all right, who's next? Next. Yeah. So a man could have risked his life when he decided to clean up with a close shave. One of the people was John Thoreau. Now, John Thoreau himself wasn't, bless him, a well-known person, but he is the brother of the American writer Henry Thoreau. Oh! Yeah, so apparently in the winter of 1841, while taking part in his daily shave, John cut himself with his razor. A few days later, he came down with locked jaw and died in Henry David's arms. Aww. It devastated Thoreau, and he didn't talk to his family or write in his journal for weeks. And then his friend, another famous name, Ralph Waldo Emerson, suggested that he go spend mm. some time out in the woods near a pond called Walden. And Thoreau took this advice and he wrote one of America's greatest essays slash novels called Walden. So that's what led oh, to that's that. That's kind of a sad story. It though. is, yeah. 
I guess, you know, heightened emotions. Yeah, I just had someone got like nicked in the throat like while they were being shaved and they died. That's oh yeah, there's lots of instances of that. Usually sepsis or infection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now coming to the second yeah. person who is an interesting name is Lord Carnarvon. You may not know him by name, but he is famous for having peered into the burial chamber of King Tut, beholding a site and a treasure that had not been viewed in over 3,000 years. Uh, he is also the subject of many stories about King Tut curse, where people say that all the individuals responsible for opening up his tomb mysteriously passed away. It's been disproven and it's clearly just superstition and myth. But three months after he looked into King Tut's tomb, he died. And the reason he died was because he was bitten by a mosquito on his cheek he sliced the bite open while he was shaving Ah. and the small cut became infected and he took ill with sepsis and he was recuperating, but he contracted pneumonia and then he died. I feel like they're really putting a lot of people off shaving. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The women of belly research facts are four beards. (laughs) And on that note, if you are also a person who is into beards, I would recommend uh, downloading this dating app called Bristler. (laughs) which is apparently for men who have beards and for people who like their beards. So, wait, so... That was a fun one that I went so down. So, is it, is it women or oh, so it's everybody? Anybody can date anyone? It could be... A, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I, but, I went through a couple of like testimonials <laughs> and they were from women who had met men on these cool. sites. Yeah, and it's all about... It's all about the beard here. Hmm. So, forget Tinder, where, you know, there's just such... Like, forget the variety of Tinder. If you want the specific niche, <laughs> then Bristler is where you need to be at. Yeah. No hate to Tinder or any other dating app, but Bristler is the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, we are now at the end of this episode. We will see you next time. If you are bearded, uh, I hope you're enjoying your day today. And I hope this has given you some ideas of what to do today. <laughs> and if you're not bearded, I hope you're not involved in the celebrations as we have outlined. Yeah, and we will see you next time. In the meantime, like, share, review, subscribe, all of that. Bye. And that's the episode. Before we sign up this time, we have a really special announcement. Charata, who is the musician responsible for the wonderful music you heard here on PRF, has just released a debut single this week. And it is fabulous to say the least. I have been listening to it on repeat all week. The track is called Time. It is available on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, she goes by the moniker of Laura Doll. All, that's her artist name. So check out the track for sure. Uh, you can also follow her on Instagram. She goes by the moniker Laura Doll on Instagram as well. And the track is in the link in her bio. So listen, enjoy. And as always, the episode this week was edited by Mohit Chandelier, who is always doing a fabulous job with this. Uh, review, subscribe, share, like. Not just the episodes of BR at this time, but also Charizard's practice, which is just that amazing. And we will see you next time. Thanks, guys.